This is Jeremy Beasley. You're listening to H10 Hanshin Tigers English News. Thank you, Jeremy, and thank you everybody for joining us for a fresh episode of H10 Hanshin Tigers English News. Fellow Hanshin Tigers fans, it is great to be with you for this, the 2024 opening episode. It is me, T Ray, the host of the show, along with right by my side in Honolulu, Hawaii. Aloha, brother T Ray. This is Sandra coming from Achu from Honolulu. And Ake Ome Kotoyoro Arempa, please. Yes, that's the main part. We want the Arempa. Of course, yes, Happy New Year to everybody out there. So, welcome to episode 190 of this podcast. Today is Tuesday, January the 23rd. A little bit chilly here in Nishinomiya,、uh, but I'm assuming it's nice where you are, Sanjay. It's in, it was in the 70s,、uh, well,、um, mid, mid 20s. Mid 20s. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I'll take that any day over the Nishinomiya weather. And I wonder how the weather is out in the UK because we've got a special guest for you all today、uh, coming at us, coming at you from the UK, Chris Hood. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you both of you for、uh, inviting me along.、Uh, the weather forecast from Cardiff is very Cardiff like it's about six or seven degrees Celsius. And it's chucking it down with rain. We've just had one storm go through over the last two days. We've got the next storm coming in now. So、uh, I, I miss the old traditional cold winters. It's, it's really not good at the moment. And I, I wish I was in Japan. January is my favorite month to be in Japan, other than the fact there's no baseball. Really? Hey,、eh? that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, hey, we're going to get into some pretty deep topics here with Chris because he's a huge Hunching Tigers fan. And we feel like we want to get to know him and we want you to get to know him as well on this show. And so that's going to be the heart of today's program. But of course, before that, we've got to catch you up on some off season stuff. Sanjay, are you ready to hit everybody up with the rumors and news? Bring it on, T Ray. Then let's do this thing. Rumors and news. Rumors and news. Okay, so the last time that we talked, I think. The NPB awards had already taken place. And so we're not going to go through all of that wonderful stuff. But there was the、um, how does it go? We had the U Show parades followed by the Fan Appreciation Day followed by NPB awards. That was all in the span of one week. And、uh, that was just tons of celebrating for Hunching Tigers and their fans. Now, I got to say, Sanjay, you're not here in Japan, but you actually get a taste of Japanese TV through your.、Um, Whatever stuff you bought, but I, I've got the TV on so much, and the Tigers are on TV a whole lot this offseason. I don't know how much of that have you've caught, but I've tried to catch as much of it as I could. Well, let me、um, break this out to you.、Um, if it's not recorded, then I don't catch it if it's anything after like 9 p.m. Japan time. But、uh-huh. I've found stuff on YouTube, and it may not be up there very long. But if you're interested,、um, go look it up. And、uh, I, I watched a little bit of、uh, Sato Teru, is one of 12, I guess, youngsters on, on Junk Sports or no, Job Tune last night, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. today, and so on. So it's,、uh, 
you know, go go look for it. It, it it's still on YouTube as of a few hours ago. There's Job Tune. There was Junk Sports over the weekend. There was Shabekuri yeah. Seven. That was about a month ago. There was a Samma TV program that was about a month ago as well. Um, there were a bunch of Yusho specials like. How did they win? What were the keys? There was a Okada special, all kinds of stuff out there. They did the uh, the Yusho parade special. Um, and then New Year's Eve was kind of special for Sun TV because they actually had the New Year's Eve special show. It was like five hours long from 7.30 p.m. to 12.30, I think it was. And what they did was they replayed the entire um, Are uh, game. So they couldn't wow. show the Are no Are because it was hosted by Kyosaro Dome and the Buffaloes. But the one that we clinched the pennant on, they played in its entirety as well. So, I mean, the Tigers were on TV a ton and we loved it. I don't know. That's Chris, great. do you get any of that kind of action in any way out in the UK? Or are you just kind of checking YouTube when you can? Or what's your situation like? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of the things I was going to chat about later. That I mean, for a lot of us, Getting news from you guys through the podcasts and the tweets and everything is really important. I mean, obviously, we can follow the official um, side of things as well. But in the UK, it's so difficult to get Japanese baseball news. I mean, I obviously read Japanese newspapers and I can get some news and so on that way. But actually keeping on top of it is actually quite difficult because there's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, and baseball is just not big in this country anyway. Right. Um, I mean, they do a few major league matches now where the teams come over and play during the season and so on. But it's nowhere near as popular as um, the NFL. Um, hmm. That's American football is much, much bigger in this country. And even that's not huge, obviously. Right. So, uh, yeah, Japanese baseball. I mean, when I talk to people and sort of say I'm into Japanese be baseball, people are still like the Japanese play baseball. It's just like, yeah, they're world champions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then I guess they've still got a ways to go to make this, uh, you know, uh, something that everybody around the world recognizes them for. That's that's rather interesting, though. Um, okay, well, enough talk about TV. Let's talk a little bit more about the actual Tigers and, and what went on. So the new slogan was announced, although it's not really an entirely new slogan, is it, Sanjay? No, it's a, a little bit of the old with a little bit added on. Yeah, it's like throw a little bit of Titanic in there and it's just the A-R-E goes on, just like yeah. our hearts. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the explanation was, well, why would we need to change anything up? You know, we want the same mindset this year as we had last year about baseball. We still want to aim for higher things. We still want to respect the game and respect the elders. And we still want to empower ourselves to... Oh, yeah, that one's still a mistake. Well, whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. So yeah. there you have it, the new slogan. And uh, I mean, you'll see it on stuff, but I, it doesn't have that same punch as the original did just because we went through the whole year saying are, are, and it, it came out really well for the team. But uh, I'm okay with the new slogan simply because to me, the slogans are not super meaningful anyways, right? I have a feeling that Arempa is going to catch on anyway or be used a lot anyway. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in a nod to the Titanic and Celine Dion, a fellow Canadian, right? Yes. Um, yes. We can go with that. <laughs> so I, I guess we should also maybe clarify for anyone that maybe doesn't know Japanese that Arempa is, of course, a play on the word are that they've used. And then Lempa, which means like back to back championships or, yeah. I guess then a back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back would be a san lempa, right? A three lempa. Exactly. So arempa is 
playing into both of those things, which is what the team wants to do. Okay, let's move forward then. Um, the entire um, roster had their contracts renewed, at least the ones that are coming back in 2024. And uh, almost everybody is experiencing some uh, big boosts in their bank account uh, numbers. Yeah. Yeah, totally. As as well they should. Yes. And the greatest salary increase by percentage was by the MVP, the rookie of the year, the ERA title winner. That would be Hanshin no Murakami-sama, right? Shoki Murakami got an 857% raise, which still probably pales in comparison to Yoshinobu Yamamoto's raise. And I don't even know the percent on that, but if you look at the overall figure, my goodness. That guy and his entire tribe is set for life for generations. You got that right. So anyways, I mean, our team is being paid well and I fear, and we'll talk a bit more about team history with Chris a bit later, but, um, you know, the team kind of has had this, this past of saying, look, we don't want to have too much success because that increases the payroll by too much. And we don't want to do that. And so I hope that that mentality has been put on ice and that the team is saying, you know what, we still need to win it all this year. And even if it means that our players are all going to get raises again next year, who cares? Right? Right. <laughs> all right. The manager said that the team is flush with cash. Well, there you go. And I mean, let's face it. You know, the fans are buying merch like crazy. The fans are filling the stadium. Um, I mean, there's no way that this team is suffering. You know, no. even with the raises in, in uh, salaries. Okay, so speaking of guys that maybe didn't or definitely didn't make the cut for next year, as well as new guys that have come in to the fold, let's talk about that right now. And so I think we mentioned this last episode, but for those that are just tuning in for the first time in 2024 and need a refresher, um, players that are gone. Position players include Takayama, Hojo, Yamamoto, and Itayama, right? And then... Mm -hmm. Um, as far as pitchers go, we got Niho and Kobayashi and Watanabe. All three of those guys came from the outside uh, to the team, but they all got cut. And Mochizuki, who was a development player, he also got cut. KK has left the fold and he is joined. That's Kyle Keller, by the way. He is joining the Yomiuri Giants. Colton Brewer was also released and he has signed a deal with the Cubs. And then in the active players draft, Kosuke Baba has moved on also to the Orange Men. Uh, so we lost him. And then two players went from regular contracts to development contracts. Those would be pitchers, Ippe Ogawa and Haruto Takahashi. Um, Takahashi looks like he might be able to come back this season. We're not really sure about that. But Ippe, I'm not sure about. I don't think he will. I mean, he'll still be on the team, but he won't have his contract re-restructured. Right. So any thoughts or comments about these guys that have left us for, from either of you? Chris, got anything to say about any of these players? Anything, any special memories or? No, I mean, this is one, I think, one of the areas where it's really difficult watching from afar is you don't build up the connection with the players in the same way um, because I tend to just see highlights of games and so much of that tends to be around the same players again and again and again. So, um, and plus also, I have to admit, I'm really bad with names anyway. So <laughs> it's it takes a while for names to stick in my memory. It's been one of the good things listening to your podcast in recent years is gradually some of the names are sticking in. But when I think back of, I mean, I've, the number of years I've been sp sporting Tigers. And if, if you ask me to start listing Tigers players, 
I would probably be mostly listing people from the current roster rather than ones from when I first started supporting them because the names just come and go. I'm, I'm awful with names. Fair enough. Yeah, and then pretty, all of these names that normal. we just mentioned. Yeah, that's pretty I normal. Say, yeah, I, I would say so as well. Yeah, I mean, especially like, I mean, yeah, as as someone who kind of has the opposite problem, like I'm I'm trying to root for North American teams in certain sports, but uh, you know, there's information out there, but there's only so much time in the day and the times a day that fit to view the games or the highlights or read articles. Like there's just not enough time in a day. So I totally get that. And then, you know, this, uh, these players that have left the fold, I mean, they're names that you wouldn't have heard on the podcast much for the entire past season, maybe even the past two or three seasons. So it makes sense that you maybe wouldn't have any uh, memories of any of them, but, uh, Sanjay, how about you, especially with maybe the departing uh, KK and uh, Cold Brew? Yeah, I really want to give a special shout out to um, KK and Cold Brew. Um, KK, what a nice guy, right? We we interviewed him. You interviewed him. I got to Mm -hmm. listen in. Um, And just such such a quality human being above and beyond everything else. And, you know, you just want to root for the guy. Especially when you know he left, not because he wanted to, but because he, you know, circumstances dictated that he do so. Right. And you know, I'm I'm sure that I was watching a, a YouTube video today from I think Nakanishi, the uh, former Tigers closer, who mm-hmm. said, you know, probably for the best for him because if he'd stayed with the Tigers, it would have been a tough tough sledding to try to get him a lot a lot of playing time, given the pitches that are involved, and given right. how depleted the the Giants pen is that he would probably have a better opportunities to succeed there than staying with us so you know I, i'm in that difficult position where i want him to do well personally but not for the team to do well <laughs> not for their right. team to do well. and and you were saying that he's such a fine quality human being and so it kind of makes me wonder well why would he want to play for the giants then ha ha <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Well, let's talk about the guys that are joining the team, including one import. Uh, we signed Javi Guerra to a uh, one-year, one million, or one point, or one million. Pardon me, one million dollar deal. So that works out to about a uh, one hundred forty-seven million yen, something like that, at the exchange rate when he signed. Uh, so he's one of the new guys. And then um, in the active players draft, we pulled Taise Urushihara. That's a mouthful right there uh, yeah. from the Buffaloes. Um, you know, they've also got an abundance of pitchers. So I feel like probably we got a good guy. And I think that's one of the things that um, Okada also said. He's like, you know, if we can get any pitcher from the Buffaloes, chances are he's going to be a good player. And, you know, again, pulling from a team that plays in the Western League means that we're pulling probably a player that we've seen a fair amount down on the farm. And maybe uh, the scouts and maybe the coaches on on the second squad gave a list of, you know, these players are the ones that, if they become available in the active players draft, we need to grab. And I think Urushihara was on that list. Yeah, I think he's definitely not an unknown entity. We, we're going in eyes wide open. Right, right. And then, so he's a reliever, by the way, right hand, a right-hander, and he is 27 years old. So he's a year younger than Baba. Okay, and then one more, well, quote-unquote addition would be that um, Kyosuke Noguchi, who was a development player, is now on a regular contract. And uh, we'll see soon that he is actually going to be at the first squad spring training camp. So there are some high hopes for him that he is going to possibly uh, work his way into the starting lineup as well. 
And on top of that, we've got our new draftees that also have joined the team. We've talked about them in previous episodes, and we're going to jump into them right now because the next bit of news is that on January the 7th, 8th, um, they entered the Hanshin Tigers Young Players Dorm, right? Mm. The yep. Kofuso is what it's called, yeah. yes. And interestingly, so that's right next to the ballpark, the farm ballpark down in Narohama. But because the team is moving next year to a different farm location, I'm assuming they are the last crop of players that are going to be making their way in to this building. As oh, so they're, they're going to move Kofuso again. Yes, I, I think so. And I think it's already built or it's being built. It's planned for whatever. So yeah, it's going to be moved because otherwise it would be really tough for them to get to and from the new ballpark. Sure, makes sense. So the new ballpark, by the way, is it's along the Hanshin line, which this one isn't. This one is actually like a bus ride from um, like from Hanshin Koshien Station, uh, mm -hmm. maybe like 15 minute bus ride. The, uh, the next one is going to be maybe a three minute walk from Daimotsu Station, which is in Amagasaki. So one town over. But for them to, for example, get from uh, the, the farm facility to the main facility and for fans to do that as well, it's just going to be a lickety split. It's going to be so good. So looking forward to that in 2025. Okay, back to what we were talking about. The eight players that uh, entered the dormitories. First round pick, Kaito Shimomura, pitcher. He brought a bunch of manga with him. They always ask, like, what's your special item? What did you bring with you into the dorm to keep your company or to comfort you, whatever? So he brought manga. Um, second round pick, right-handed pitcher, Tsuyoshi Shiba, brought fishing gear because he's a big-time uh, fisherman. He loves fishing. In fact, he just said on uh, a TV program just this past Friday, he said, if I wasn't a... I, if I hadn't aimed to be a pro ball player, I would have tried to be a pro fisher, fisherman. That's how interested he is in fishing. Um, third round pick, infielder Shuya Yamada brought a giant Winnie the Pooh stuffy. I mean, it's probably like two or three feet, two feet maybe in size. <laughs> Kawaii, ne. Kawaii. Eight, 18 years old. And I think that's going to really endear him to the female fans. Um, as, as for foreign fans that look at that, like I think he'd probably get beat up or hazed if he did that on a North American team. Am I wrong? <laughs> it is what it is. Okay, our next pick, Aoi Momosaki, also an infielder, 18-year-old. He got a signed t-shirt from all of his high school teammates, um, the baseball team. And he's got an interesting story. I think we talked about this a bit last time, but um, he actually quit playing baseball partway through high school because he was just fed up with uh, things at his high school. He moved over to another high school, and it was one of his junior high school uh, playmates, friends, that said, hey, man, you got to join our team. We need you, and you need to get things back you know, in, in, in order because you got talent. And so he did. And so I think this signed T-shirt is extra special for that reason for him. Yeah, good point. Uh, number five pick was Yuya Ishiguro, right-handed pitcher. Um, he's out of the Industrial League, and he was working for and playing for the JR Nishi Nihon team out in Hiroshima. And so he brought a little mascot stuffy. It's probably about, I don't know, six inches tall, something like that, 15 centimeters, whatever, just a little thing. That was his good luck charm. Um, Tsuda, uh, Junya Tsuda, our sixth-round pick, uh, right-handed pitcher. He brought a giant cushion or pillow or whatever i used to call it a conan pillow and i don't know if that's still a thing or not but it's just like this giant like i mean it, you can turn it into like a little sofa almost mm. so it's not bed size but it's a nice big size so you can just flop down on it that's his thing and then we had two development picks kai matsubara a right-handed pitcher brought in a big bottle of booze and it's not because he wants to drink he actually says he doesn't drink but because it's from his hometown it's from uh some i forget somewhere in toyama 
And the name of the company has the kanji for win, shou, or katsu in it. So he brought it for that reason, kind of as a good luck charm. And then finally, Kane Fukushima, outfielder. Um, he brought a glove from his university playing day. So nice worn in. And uh, he's really happy to have that as his comfort item. Cool. So we welcome those eight guys to the team. All right, let's move on. We've got some wonderful news that actually just hit the press kind of today or hit the socials today. Uh, everybody's favorite former catcher and uh, all-star, all-world pinch hitter, Fumihito Haraguchi, received uh, word from his doctors today that he is 100% cancer-free. So we're super stoked, super happy for him. Way to go. Um, if you recall, it was in 2019, it was January actually, that he made the announcement on his Twitter account, which he had just opened for really for the purpose of that, for announcing to the world that he had been diagnosed with cancer and he'd have to undergo uh, radiation, I think radiation treatment and other kind of things uh, to get uh, rid of the cancer. And uh, if you'll recall, he miraculously came back in June and hit a, I think it was a pinch hit double in his first at bat. And then he had a walk-off single a few days later against the fighters. And then he was chosen as the last pick in the all-star game that year, even though he'd only played in like a handful of games, hit a home run in each of those games. Right. And was named yeah. like he got one of the MVP or some kind of special award at the all-star game. So, I mean, yeah. the, the guy's just got such an amazing story. And the fact that he's fully come back, like I couldn't be happier. Yeah. And so the, the five-year mark is, is like a, a, milestone in in cancer in the cancer world when you, if you're free for five years you consider it 100 free right so we're looking forward to uh, a renewed haraguchi and you know hopefully the team can draw some inspiration from that as well but uh, i really think you know he's a fan favorite and uh we continue to uh, wish him all the best in the rest of his career i think he's 30 he'll be 32 i think in march so he's still on the i don't want to say young side on uh, amongst the tigers he's on the old side but he's still you know career-wise he's still got years ahead of him assuming that he can yep. stay healthy yep all right um next let's talk about spring training that's really the last thing on the rumors and news uh report here so spring training as you all know starts on february the first every season every year and it runs through the 27th this year and the top squad plays in a small town in northern Okinawa called Ginoza. And the farm squad plays in a small town kind of in the central part of Okinawa. This is the second year of them doing that called Gushikawa. Well, it's called Uruma as a city, but it used to be Gushikawa. And so they have split the squad, even though at any given time, based on injury or excellent performance or poor performance, guys can be shuffled from one to the other uh, during that month. But starting February 1 in Ginoza, assuming no injuries between now and then, um, the catchers will be Umeno, Sakamoto, Fujita, Nakagawa. The infielders will be Kinami, Oyama, Kumagai, Sato, Watanabe, Obata, Nakano, Ueda. Let's mm -hmm. throw this in here now. Nakano announced that he is a married man. Congratulations to him. Yay, to a woman who's three years his senior. Good for him. Yep. Yeah, sure. Um, and then in the outfield department, we've got Morishita, Chikamoto, Noisy, Inoue, Mieses, Maegawa, Onodera, and Noguchi. Eight outfielders for three spots. And all, honestly, honestly like, you could almost name any of those three, and I think we'd have a pretty solid outfield. Although, like, maybe the three weakest put together in the outfield may not be that strong, but, you know, if you have Chikamoto as the anchor, you could put any two guys on his flanks and I'd be pretty happy. 
Yep, same here. So, and then uh, for the pitching, we've got uh, Javi Guerra. By the way, he's going to be wearing number zero zero, and so we're doing this in numerical order, just so you know. Um, and then we've got Junya Nishi, Yuki Nishi, Aoyagi, Shiba, the rookie, Ito, Monbetsu, second year out of high school, Urushihara, the new guy we got in the active players draft, Saiki, Hamachi, Oyokawa, Murakami, Kirishiki, Ibaragi, also um, second year out of high school, Otake, Tomida, Okadome, Yuasa, Ishii, and Beasley. So pretty beefy squad. That's 40 guys. So that leaves roughly 30 uh, for the farm side. And we won't name them all. I, ju I will just say that um, Shimomura, our first round pick, apparently he um, pulled some back muscles. It was reported today. And so at least right now, um, I don't know how serious it is, but he's not actually going to be doing team workouts on February 1st necessarily, unless he recovers between now and then. As for games, in case you're planning to be in Okinawa uh, during the spring training season and want to go check out some uh, Hanshin Tigers action, which I certainly hope that I will, um, they will be playing on their home grounds on the 17th, 18th, and 20th. I think it's Eagles and then a an intra-squad game. And then um, I think it's a Korean team, if I'm not mistaken. And then the 23rd, 24th, and 25th, they'll be playing on the road, if you will. It's all in Okinawa. The Giants on the 23rd in Naha, the Swallows on the 24th in Urasoe, and the Dragons on the 25th in Chatan. If all of that just went over your head, it's all on the H10 webpage. So go check that out, make your notes, and plan your trip accordingly. Yes. There you go, cross-marketing. Yes. All right. Well, honestly, that's all the talk as far as the rumors and news go. And so let's jump right into the main hot topic. Who's in the chair? Who's tea talking to? Who's in the chair? Maybe veteran, maybe do. Who's in the chair? Who's in the chair? Who's in the chair? All right, so... As we uh, said earlier, we've got a special guest with us today, and thanks for sitting through all that talk, Chris. We appreciate you coming to the show today. I'm so happy to be here, and it's it's always fun coming on podcasts, seeing how it all fits together, and uh, hearing all the usual talk. And you, I, I, so many podcasts, I say this to the people, and it sounds ridiculous. There's no reason why they wouldn't, but it's always really funny to hear the podcasters. Their voices sound like how I hear them normally on my earphones, but now they're interacting with me. It's, it's always a weird experience. <laughs> I've done these before and I've, I've actually done them where it's audio only. And so um, when you join the podcast and you actually don't get to see who you're talking to, but you just hear your their voices. Yeah, it, it is kind of a surreal thing. It's like, wait a minute. I'm usually just a listener. Now I get to actually have my voice uh, mixed into everything as well. So we're glad to have you here. Um, Chris, let's just start with, okay, so you've kind of mentioned where in the world you are, but take us back through maybe your childhood, like why you're into sport as much as you are and how you got introduced to the Hanshin Tigers. Okay, so I grew up in the countryside in the UK. Um, Cropshire is the county. I lived in a small village, I mean, there were more sheep than people where I grew up. Um, <laughs> and as a kid, I initially got into football. That's British football, soccer. Um, and being a kid, obviously, I was just glory hunting. I wanted to support a successful team. So I think over the course of about two months, I supported three different teams. 
Um, my local team, Shrewsbury Town, not particularly strong. Um, and eventually I settled on Liverpool as my team. But going through the 80s, um, started feeling a little bit more loyalty to the local team, Shrewsbury. But when I went to university, my parents moved away from Shropshire and I'd gone to, went to university in Sheffield and they've got two um, teams there. And so I decided to curse one of those teams by supporting them. So since 1989, I've been supporting Sheffield United, who are these days just about clinging on to being in the Premier League. Um, but um, it's been a rocky period for them. And uh, I seem to fit with teams where they have this unbelievable skill of grasping defeat from the jaws of victory. So, um, and that theme, so some degree follows through all of the sports. Um, the second sport I actually got into was American football. Um, it was getting kind of cult following, I guess, in the UK from the mid-1980s. They would show um, highlights on a Sunday, but it'd be the highlights from the previous Sunday. It's not like now where you can watch games live and all the rest of it. So from the mid-80s, um, I supported the been supporting the Cincinnati Bengals, who, again, are one of those teams where we just don't talk about the 1990s because it was so abysmal. I mean, they've become a strong team again now. But again, another one of those teams where they're not good for the heart. It's, it's tough watching them. Um, and then the third sport I got into in the 80s was actually sumo. Um, my sister was really into it. And I used to, she's a few years older than me lived in London and whenever I went down to visit her we um she would put on um recordings of sumo channel four one of our um terrestrial tv channels used to watch um show um sumo highlights so I used to watch sumo with her and I really got into it so when I started going to Japan I really got into sort of going to the sumo um in like to a whole day a couple of times including when I went to Japan January in 2023 i've been to watch training i've been to a jungle where they go out and just take part in the local gym and stuff like this and then when i started at university and well it was more at high school i had um, a lot of japanese friends at high school i went to a high school which was mostly for foreign people wanting to go to a british university and um some of them would talk about baseball and stuff and being a brit it was just like passing over my head but after I finished at high school, I went out to Japan for four weeks, staying with friends. And um, a friend I was staying with in Tokyo was really into the baseball. And of course, it's just on all the time in the evening. And we just sit there with our beers and eating pocky and stuff like this. And this is where you're going to throw me off the podcast. Um, because of the influence of friends, um, mute him, mute I started him. supporting um, a certain unmentionable team. And um, no. Even went and bought, went to Tokyo Dome and bought a baseball cap of that unmentionable team. But when I went to university, um, I mean, I was still wearing this cap in the first year of university. I started to learn a little bit more about Japanese baseball. Um, and we went out to Japan during our first academic year. And I realized that um, the team I thought I was the team I was supporting really wasn't the team for me. They were like the equivalent of a Manchester United or something. Um, mm -hmm. And one of my host families actually, um, when we we had a period up in the Kanto area, staying in Kawasaki. We then had five weeks in Osaka. And my uh, host father in Osaka was very much a Hanshin fan. 
And that started the conversion process. And by the time I graduated and went out to Japan to do the JET program, I completely become a Henshin Tigers fan by that stage. So that's now 30 years ago, I guess, 31, 32 years ago. Rescued from the jaws of death. <laughs> that's, Absolutely. That's an, interesting, that's an interesting story, though. But, you know, it's funny how um, there, there's definitely that polarizing view of uh, the orange team, as well as, you know, you look at like Manchester United, you look at New York Yankees, um, you know, these powerhouse or or rich teams, or, you know, you can call them what you want, but there's always that team that um, you're either a fan of them or you're against them, it seems. Yeah. And, and I've got a lot of Japanese friends who, when I ask them who they support, because I mean, I should be, you guys have got your cap on, I should put my cap on really. Um when they Mercy, I love it. see me wearing my cap, we start talking about baseball, and I say, "Well, who do you support?" And they'll just say, "Whoever, whoever's playing against the Giants." It's, <laughs> it's as simple as that. They don't follow a particular team. It's just whoever's playing against the Giants. So it's they are so polarizing in that way. Maybe a little less so now than they were when under their some of their previous manager Nagashima and so on. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 polarizing still, and I think. Also, because of how what the company as a whole represents with the newspaper and everything as well, I, I think that probably plays its a part too. I yeah, I would say for people that kind of know uh, the the organization in depth and maybe know a little bit of the history and, and those types of things for sure. Yeah. So you said you were on Jet. Um, where and when? Around when was that? Because I was also on Jet. I'm assuming we didn't overlap, but I'm just curious as to what yes, part of Japan so you ended up in. So I I just did the one year on Jet. I mean, I originally planned to do more. Um, mm -hmm. I sent out most of when I finished at university. Rather than sending my belonging, taking my belongings home, I think I sent most of my belongings out to Japan, thinking I was going to be out in Japan for years and years. And in the end, just did the one year on Jet, and mm -hmm. I was in Seto, um, which is just on the outskirts of Nagoya. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the the home of pottery in Japan, Seto Mono is the one of the Japanese words for pottery, and it means a thing from Seto. Um, mm. I was actually there one of the years when the Dragons were champions, from what I remember. I think all the local departo were going to be doing special sales and stuff like that to celebrate and so on. So if, if I had changed my allegiances to the Dragons, it would have work, worked out quite nicely. And uh, indeed, a number of years later, um, in 2004, when I was doing some of my research about the Shinkansen, JR Central actually took me along to a game at Nagoya Dome um, to go in the JR Central box and all the rest of it. So, I mean, if, and again, I think that year Dragons were strong, maybe champions. If I'd been a Dragons fan, those two things have been brilliant. As a Hanshin fan, it's just like, yeah, whatever kind of thing. Um, but I think, I mean, going back to what we're sort of saying with the Giants as well, there's another aspect I think with Hanshin is that maybe partly because there haven't always been as many championships and so on as the Giants. Being a Tigers fan is more than the baseball. The baseball, I think, is sometimes almost secondary. It's a more of a cultural thing, and you can link with people and have conversations about things and know that you've got this mindset where you just know we can't – we have to really rejoice in those seasons like the season we just had because they don't generally come around that often. And – Baseball is not always the thing that really links us. It's, it's a more cultural aspect to it, I think. 
Yeah, we don't need the word united in our team name to know that the fans truly are, you know, united and and really like on the same page. And, you know, we celebrate the victories, you know, so much more than we would if we were fans of the Giants because it's not every year and we don't take it for granted. And it truly is special to have a team uh, do the things that they did this year in 2023. So, um, yeah. You you talked a little bit about doing research and stuff like that, and I know of I know you as being a guy that has done um, quite a bit of really interesting research, and in particular, I know that you've done some research on a particular flight or plane crash, I guess, um, that really impacted this Hanshin Tigers team. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously, um, here we are in January 2024, and aviation safety in Japan is back on the agenda again after the accident at um, Haneda Airport um, earlier this year. But uh, the world's deadliest single plane crash, so a plane where there's only one plane, the, the deadliest ever is where there's been two planes collided in uh, at an airport in Tenerife. But the deadliest single plane crash was a Japan Airlines flight in 1985, 1985 um, Gal Flight 123. Um, and I've been doing research about that plane crash since... Um, 2007, so 17 years ago now. Um, and as you said, this uh, plane crash um, has a connection with Hanshin Tigers. The president of the Hanshin Tigers was actually on the flight, and around about 55% of the passengers were from the Kansai region. So you had a lot of Hanshin Tigers fans. And um, one of the people I know, which was one of the reasons why um, I got into doing this research, um, there was one British person on the flight, and he was traveling with his Japanese fiance. Um, they obviously, unfortunately, died. There were four survivors this flight, but 520 fatalities. Um, and when I was doing research about it, the father of the British victim, um, he gave me a whole load of photographs, which he had taken um, sort of when he went out to Japan to sort of do the identification of remains, funeral, these various things, um, he kept a diary of these things. And this is one of the reasons why I got into doing the research. Um, but amongst the photographs is also a picture where the um, fiancé's family went to Koshien and held up pictures of Kimball and Masako to sort of like support Hanshin Tigers, because this is 1985, and this is the year when Hanshin Tigers won the championship, won the Japan series. And um, I think for a, people of a certain generation, if you say to them 1985 and Japan, one of the things they connect with that year is not just a plane crash, but it was the fact that Hanshin Tigers were the so the champions. And a lot of people got behind Hanshin Tigers. They really wanted Tigers to win, even if they weren't normally Tigers fans. This was very much seen as a let's get behind Tigers to sort of as part of the healing process. And we saw something similar in 1995 after the um, Kobe earthquake. A lot of people got behind, I think it was Oryx that time in particular. Um, and if these days, if you watch movies which are set in 1985, and obviously related to my research, there's a couple of movies, Climbers High and She's a Man Tile, you'll quite often see people wearing Hanshin Tigers stuff, and you'll see Tiger stuff in the background because it's just the way people remember 1985. But yeah, the pre the president of the team, Nakano, was also on the flight, um, sadly. So what kind of um, publications have resulted in this 
um, through the, this research that you've done? Like, have you been in journals or, or like what types of stuff have, have come out of this? Yeah. So, I mean, originally, I mean, when I first started the research, I was thinking I was just going to do a journal article. But it's one of those bits of research where the more I put into it, the more I was getting out of it. Um, so um, the project turned into a book um, initially. Um, when I spoke to the publisher about it, um, they said, can you give us a one sentence tagline to go with the book so we can understand what it's all about? And normally, if you talk to an academic, we are not good at these sort of things. We, we're very good at waffling. We're not good at sort of, sort of getting our thoughts down into a single sentence. Um, but actually, it came to me quite quickly. And I said, well, basically, this plane crash is the aviation's equivalent and Japan's equivalent of the Titanic. And they just went, yeah, got it. Great. Through the book. So I did mm. that book. Um, I then went on to do a second book. Um, as I said, I'd been given the photographs and diary of um, Peter Matthews, whose son was on the flight. And although some of those photographs um, and some of what he experienced go in, went into the first book, it wasn't enough. And I just thought these are such amazing documents. They need to be out there in the public domain. So I did a second book, which basically is all of the photographs and the complete diary, but also some commentary between Peter, myself, and also a guy called Keith Haynes, who was the person at JAL who was assigned to look after Peter, traveled to Japan with him, took care of all the arrangements. And it's through my friendship with Keith Haynes that I initially got to meet Peter and sort of some of this research started. So I did those two books. And then I've gone on to do a number of other articles um, looking at things like there are a number of memorials related to the crash. One of these was updated 30 years after the crash. And I was intrigued as to why you would get an update so many years later on. But also there's been these films and novels related to the crash. And so I wanted to look at what are Japanese disaster films like? Are they different to Hollywood English language disaster films? So it's taken me in a number of different directions and the research continues. Um, at the moment, I'm working on two articles. One is looking at the notes which were written, a number of passengers and one of the cabin crew wrote notes during the final 32 minutes. It's one of the things that Crash is quite famous for. And I've got the translation of these notes up on my website, and it's the most visited page on my website every year. And I'm mm. interested in why people are interested in these things. Nearly, I mean, next year will be the 40th anniversary. Why is there still so much interest? But also, what can we learn from these notes, which obviously I talk about in my first book, but there were so many things to talk about in the book that I couldn't cover everything. So I'm planning on going into more detail and a more detailed article about that. The other thing I'm working on is that I get an email every day um, let, letting me know what new videos related to the JAL crash, specifically this JAL crash, Flight 123, are uploaded to YouTube. And every day the email says there's 10, 11, 12, at a weekend, sometimes 20 new videos being uploaded. And this is just like, this is a crash coming up to 40 years old from a pre-internet age. Uh -huh. A lot of these videos are people like trying to recreate the flight with a flight simulator. Sometimes they're using like standard Microsoft flight simulator. Sometimes they're doing it in Roblox. Sometimes it's like people have like visited the crash site, whole range of different videos. But I'm intrigued as to what the motivations are for this number of people to be making videos and what's going on there. Um, but it, it isn't a very unusual crash. And this is partly why I sort of say the, this sort of analogy to the Titanic kind of works. Um, and I think 
there's a generation of Japanese who don't know that much about the crash, but I think that was true also about the Titanic. A lot of people actually didn't know about Titanic for a number of years, although films were made about it in the 20s. It wasn't until a movie was made in 1959 called A Night to Remember that it really cemented Titanic in the public consciousness. Now, that's over 40 years on. We're only just getting to that point with JL123. So I suspect we're going to see more movies and stories related to the crash actually from now on as well. And it will just get embedded within public consciousness. And even in this last week, Giles um, just appointed their first ever female president and the first time president is um being formerly cabin crew rather than coming through from a different side of the company and she started working at the company um albeit a sort of one of jow's affiliates um in the april of 1985 and during her sort of press conference everything as she came present she stuck she was drawing the parallels back to jail one two three and talking about how significant that crash was and the ethos of people and um in the company now and having to be sort of focused on safety so just things like this will just make sure that JL123 is one of those things that people get to learn about at some stage and know about. It's fascinating. I mean, um, you know, this is obviously kind of a, a human uh, caused disaster. And then we've had, um, you know, since uh, the calendar flipped 2024, you know, we had a rather significant earthquake up in Ishikawa. And, you know, um, Japan is definitely a country that is not a uh, stranger to calamity or you know whether it be natural or you know uh human caused whatever um and so i really think this is something that um it's it's just interesting to know that you uh who you know is not from japan and maybe to an extent didn't have a natural connection to japan um has kind of gone this deeply into this topic and i think it's a really uh really interesting one that i'm interested to hear more about and uh, just see how it develops as well in the years to come. So um, just kind of on the note of you doing uh, various things uh, when it comes to research and so on, like I also know having read at least one of your other novels that you've done other types of writing as well. Do you want to take a bit of time and just talk about maybe your most, like your favorite or your most interesting written work that you've done or, or anything else? Sure, thanks. So, yeah, I mean, I went to a training course years ago, which was mostly, I think, aimed at PhD students talking about the writing process. And um, the person saying in the morning, you just need to get your fingers working and just write anything for half an hour just to get the brain working, get the fingers going. Um, and he's still saying you could do some creative writing. And I just sort of thought, well, if you're going to do that, why not actually add it all together and turn it into a novel? Um, and so that's how I got into doing my first novel. Um, which is called Hijacking Japan. I even get a mention of Hanshin Tigers in there. In fact, I think I get Hanshin Tigers mentioned into many of my books, including the academic ones. Um, well done. And that, and that one was, um, I mean, I started writing it. I mean, it took a number of years to finish it, but I started writing it around the time that the TV series 24 was on. And I really wanted to get that idea of real-time element in there. So each chapter works on the idea of, people reading at about 170 words per minute, which is roughly speaking speed. So in reality, we normally read much quicker than that. But obviously, because of this dialogue, I had to fix the speed, which was re fairly realistic. And it, most of the chapters progress in that sort of real-time way. So if a chapter is one minute long, it's 170 words. If it's 10 minutes long, it's 1,700 and so on. 
Um, and then from there, I've gone on to um, do two more novels so far. Um, Tokyo 2020 Vision, which was set around the time of the Tokyo Olympics. Um, I literally just published the book when COVID struck and the Olympics were put back a year. So I did a quick um, change to the book. Um, it The COVID side of things means that certainly that one element of the book doesn't totally work but i think in time we're going to start forgetting what covid was and all the rest of it so i think it's fine um <laughs> but those the second and third book so tokyo 2020 vision and the next one although my third book is very confusingly called four um i chose that <laughs> title because in japanese the number four has two readings one which just means the numeral four the other reading means death and so the book is in four parts and each part has like an element a story talking about death and those two follow the fortunes of a photographer and a reporter who works with him. And this photographer, who's I call Iwakura, um, he's the sort of the main protagonist of a series of books I planned. Um, I'm working on the third one in the series, although it's been much delayed. Um, and I know what I'm doing with the fourth one. I just need to actually sit down and write these things. Um, but I've always got a lot of projects on. Um, I write a lot more blog posts than I used to, so that takes up some of my time as well. I'm also working on a book all about fans of the pop group Frankie Goes to Hollywood from the 1980s. That was meant to be finished last year, if not the year before. I really want to get it finished this year because this year is 40 years on from 1984, which was their big year and everything. So I feel as though this is the year I really need to get it done. Um, so, yeah, I, I do a big range of writing and I just wish there were more hours in the day to get it all done. Well, so I He's read. Relax. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so I read four, and uh, I was really fascinated by. It. I really liked um, the. I liked the protagonist, and I liked the the reporter as well that was alongside him. And I really felt like, and I don't know if you intended for this to be the case or not, and I'm not going to put any spoilers out there, but I did feel like. Like there is some tension between these characters, like kind of sexual tension or just like this, you know what I mean? Like, you know, is there going to be something here? Is there not? And like, yeah, but that, then that's, every that's, time... def that's definitely there and deliberate. And um, yeah, yeah, that's going to continue through both books, but um, I'm not going to say how it gets resolved and what's going on, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well then <laughs> I will definitely pick up the books uh, when I, when I can as well. No, it's really good. And, and I love the fact that it kind of takes you to each of the four main uh, islands in Japan as well, right? Like there's one set in Hokkaido, one in Honshu, one in Shikoku and one in Kyushu. And so yeah, you get yeah, like I a mean, geographic I mean, feel the of the land as well. They were going to do this like almost like coffee table book kind of thing or something like that, where he's doing the photographs and she's writing the reporter um, is writing mm -hmm. articles and they were going to be looking at sort of important social issues like depopulation and stuff like this but other things get in the way and so it turns into sort of like mystery type stories as well yeah it was really cool and um yeah i i just really appreciated uh that it had some depth to it you didn't try to fake or ignore uh japanese history or culture or things like that like it was there were parts that were well explained that needed to be explained there were other parts that like it was clear that this wasn't just uh slopped together because i've seen foreign writers write stuff about japan that included a real cultural bias either for or more often than not against japan like well well the japanese think about things this way or this is the japanese way of you know um 
ignoring the issue or or you know sidestepping it and like there's no real i didn't really sense a cultural bias and so i felt like um iwakura or rock was someone that you could really root for um he kind of had this real endearing side even though he was far from a perfect protagonist and so yeah i really enjoyed it excellent well, thanks for thanks for that much appreciated sure sure sanjay you had to pick it up man i gotta do that yeah i will and i also, don't even know sanjay are, are you much of a book reader uh it comes and goes uh -huh. I, it comes and goes and and some of the you know you look at my bookshelf over here and i got a bunch by um it, it's all about baseball so uh -huh. i got robert whiting i got robert fitz uh i got um marty keener um you know uh plus uh just just michael lewis just because he's in finance and i used to do that too so but uh, what i was going to say was um t-ray aren't you working on a book too yes Yes. And like, I could probably um, pick Chris's brain a little bit more, but just even some of the things he's already talked about writing has kind of struck a chord with me or, or, you know, like, oh yeah, true, true. Um, yeah. I've been working on the 2023 Hunching Tigers season and, you know, honestly, I, I've been surprised, but not at the number of books that have already come out about the 2023 season. It seems like everybody has already got their book written. And I don't know if they just used like AI to create their books for them or what, but I've been doing this manually. And uh, I am, I don't even know. What did I tell you, Sanjay? At last count, I think I had like 33,000 words done. That's, that's what you and, told me. Yes. Yeah. And it's probably not going to get, it's probably not going to get much past 40,000, but I've still got a ways to go. So I'm I'm hoping to have it out by sometime in March, preferably early, but maybe mid-March, a good couple of weeks before the season starts so that people are thinking baseball, can't wait for the, the season to start, and maybe want to be reminded of what a great season 2023 was. And obviously my, my angle, if you will, or what makes my book different than everyone else's is it's in English. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, I was going to say, there may be other books out there, but how many of them are in English? Yeah, zero. So, and the thing so, I find quite often about Japanese books when they come out quite early, because I mean, some of the first books about the crash, which I do research about, were coming out uh, weeks after the crash. Is that uh, actually when you get into the book, it's not just about the crash. They they've actually talked about something else. So I suspect some of these books that have come out about Henshin hmm. Tiger's season actually talk about other things, or it also be clear that they always had planned this book and they were writing it through the season to which yeah which probably means they've done that every year and those manuscripts have just been sat there or gone in the bin at some stage or another. And finally they get the version that someone's going to actually want to read. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I would say so too. So, Hey, now that we're on the topic, thanks for redirecting this Sanjay. Now that we're on the topic of the 2023 tigers, um, Chris, you came out to Japan at least once because a, the picture, your background picture on today's zoom call is from that day. And B, I met you after this very game so how many yeah. times did you come to japan in 2023 and how many of those involved going to see tigers games so in 2023 i came out twice um so i first visited japan back in 1989 and since then i generally come to japan once or twice a year there's only four calendar years that i've missed two of those obviously thanks to covid um but in 2023 i came out twice um for two weeks back in january um, which I mentioned earlier is my one of my favorite months of the year to visit Japan because it's sort of crisp blue sky and so on for a lot of the time. Um, but obviously no baseball at that stage. And then I came out again in May. And both of these trips, well, the first trip was mainly for some research for doing on the second edition of a book I 
write, um, it's like a textbook called Japan the Basics. Um, that's going to be published and coming out in May 24. So I was mostly doing research and fieldwork on that in January. In May, I came out to visit uh, my students and some of our exchange partners, but was dotting I's and crossing T's on some of the research and so on. And it just meant, unfortunately, I just happened to be in in the Osaka, Kobe area on a day when Hanshin were playing at home. So I went with uh, my host father from what I mentioned earlier in, in the podcast. Um, we went together um, to the game against Hiroshima. Um, and Tell us what happened the at the game. How did it end? But, so, <laughs> yeah, that was quite an incredible game. It was so tense. Yeah. This was the game which you've mentioned to a couple of times in the podcast um, in terms of sort of key moments of the season and so on. So this is yeah. the one which went all the way through to the ninth innings. And um, we had Morishta against Morishta. And um, our Morishta got the walk-off win. Um, and the, the atmosphere was just absolutely crazy. Um, so the photograph in the background there was taken when the word victory came up on the main screen. And that photograph is actually going to be in my book, Japan, the Basics, the second edition as, as nice. well. Um, and that obviously, he, as I said earlier, I'm generally not good with names. I generally don't even support players. I mean, even in sumo, which is very much an individual sport, although mm -hmm. I kind of liked my normie back in the day and I supported Chio Taikai because he's a friend of a friend. Generally, I support a whole team rather than have key players. But because of what happened that day, Morish, he's my guy. He's, yeah. I, I'll be rooting for him from now on. Sure. If you look really carefully at the picture too, um, over Chris's maybe right shoulder, you can see the players actually charging the field um, right after the walk-off. And so it was a well-timed picture. And uh, I was fortunate to also be at the game and I was taking it in from the first base Alps. It looks like you were in the right field stands, correct? Yeah. Yep. And so we got to meet up just briefly after the game and uh, mm. yeah, it was nice chatting with you at that time. Um so how much of the rest of the season, we've talked a little bit about how hard it is to kind of keep up with the team and stay fresh on, on everything that's going on. How much did you get to watch and what were your thoughts of the 2023 Tigers? How did they compare even just say to the 2022 or 2021 editions of the team? Sure. So, I mean, I think the key thing to mention when it comes to trying to follow Japanese baseball in the UK is the time zone issue. I mean, we're talking now at a time when games would be just about starting in japan mm -hmm. it's nine o'clock in the morning in the uk in when we go into british summertime which is largely when the baseball season is that's 10 o'clock but mm -hmm. that's when i'm it's work time i can't be right. sitting around watching live games unfortunately uh, academics actually do work we don't sort of just put our feet up all day long contrary to popular belief um so most of the time i can't follow the game live um, I use an app called SofaScore, which will send me updates. Um, and usually I just, for baseball games, I usually just get it to send me the notification of when the game's finished. So although I might glance at it during a game, generally the first I know what's happened is when the notification comes through on my phone and buzzes to my watch to say what the result is. Um, and then after that, I will try and go onto either YouTube or more often than not Instagram and watch some of the highlights or videos there. But it is so difficult to keep on top of them because of the time zone issue. I tend to be reading the Japanese news about baseball games 
the day after it happened. So mm-hmm. the next game is just about starting when I'm looking at a newspaper talking about yesterday's game and so on. Um, and so it gets quite confusing to try and keep track of what's going on. And this is where I find your you guys and the, the podcast you do so incredibly useful because it's just having that one episode every couple of weeks just to remind us where we've got to, what's going on, talk about what games are coming up and so on is is really, really critical and important to us. In terms of what the team is like at the moment and has been like, I don't think we really realized until August just how good they really were. Um, I mean, obviously, they've been leading and have been gaps through the season. But I think when we got through August and had that, we always had that time when we're away from Korshien and they were just still bringing in the wins. It's just like, this, something, this, this is different. This is, this is not a normal Hanshin team. We, we, I think many of us were still thinking it's still possible for them to find a way of throwing this away. And then going through August, it's like, no, this team is really, really good. And I think in reality, if we look back to the previous season, the seeds were there because we had that dreadful start in 2022. Mm-hmm. But if you ignored that dreadful start, if the first half of the season had been as good as the second half of the season, I think we would have finished first or second even in 2022. Um, yep. So I think it's not just down to the manager. I think the seeds were there. And I think looking forward, my real feel is that, and this is a very weird thing to be saying and thinking as a Henshin Tigers fan, I think we can be looking forward with a lot of that optimism because I think the gap between the Tigers and the rest of the league is actually very big. And as you mentioned earlier, we've got a young squad as well. And compared to, say, the NFL draft, the draft and the way that baseball works in Japan, the teams don't equalize quite as quickly as you sometimes mm-hmm. see in the NFL. And so I think this year's championship is ours to lose rather than we need to go out and there and win it. I, I just feel as though we got that gap and we should be playing with and winning like with confidence through much of this season, which is very sure. weird thing to say as a Tigers fan. I'm not used to this. I, I'm going to have to have a lie down, I think. Well, yeah, for <laughs> real. I don't think any of us have ever been able to swagger as much as we have um, this season. Sanjay, um, what's your take? What is the difference between the 2023 Tigers and the same team, basically the same squad that we had in 2022, right? There weren't any major additions or subtractions. What made the difference? Well, you know, um, I totally agree with what Chris just said, but at the same time, I have to say that it was the manager. That was, I, I said this before the season started, I believe that he would be worth like 10 wins for us. And I think that number might be more than that in, in hindsight. Uh, and something that everyone has been saying as well is that our guys haven't had career years in 2023. Like most of our players, with the exception, I think, of Nakano. Um, Nakano probably had his best offensive output. But um, sorry, I'm talking about offense. Obviously, the the three pitchers, um, the three-headed 10-win monsters of Murakami and Otake and Ito had their best years. But... In terms of the rest of the guys, they got room to grow. They got room to get better. And so we didn't really need to go and get, get more players, new players, to to have a better year this year. Mm. The guys we have, 
we like already. And they're going to get better. So yeah, I like I, our chances this year. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so there were guys on the pitching staff that had career years, as you alluded yeah. to, but then there were also guys that struggled, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't realize this until um, actually as I'm working on the book, I'm doing kind of these individual player profiles and and writing actually about their careers a little bit instead of just letting the numbers do the talking. But I hadn't realized that, um, you know, Yuki Nishi finished second in the CL and ERA in 2022. Like he was that good. And so he, like our top two pitchers were without a doubt, Aoyagi and Nishi. And both of them utterly failed in 2023 by their standards, by their standards. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, they both finished with eight wins, I think, and their their ERAs were around four or something like that. I mean, oh, yeah, he's was four and a half. I think Nishi's was 3.8, 3.9, something like that. So way over their career average. And neither of them are what I, I would assume anyways, neither of them are in a major decline as far as, you know, like we, we can't expect that to be the new norm for either of them. I think both of them will bounce back to an extent. Um, maybe Aoyagi a bit more so than Nishi because Nishi, I think, is 33 now, but Aoyagi is still 30, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you look at like Psyche had a pretty good year compared to what he'd done the years prior when he was hurt, but he's got a ton of room to grow, right? You got Junya, who's got a ton of room to grow. Um, and then you've got other guys that are chomping at the bit to get into the rotation or back into the rotation as well. And so, like, I, I'm going to assume, and we'll talk about this more as the spring rolls on, but I don't think that we can expect a 1.75 ERA out of Murakami every year. Um, we're not necessarily going to get, yeah. we're not going to necessarily get 12 wins out of Otake every year as well. Um, I'd love to, love to get both of those happen. But even if they don't, I don't feel like our pitching staff is doomed. And I mean, the same could be said of much of the uh, bullpen as well. You look at, you know, who was supposed to be the stud, the closer in 2023, and how would how did his year turn out? Right, Ibasa. Right. I mean, he. If you go back to game one, I don't know if you remember this, but he loaded the bases. He walked the bases loaded in a game where we had a three run lead. He ended up picking up the save. I think. Yeah, I think was it a three or four run lead? I think it was three. It was a six to three game when he entered it. And he faced Soto with two outs and the bases loaded. And I was like, man, if he gets hit here and we have a, well, it wouldn't have been a walk-off loss, but it would have been a huge blow just like the year before. I was like, no, we can't have this happen. You know, and then Yuasa settled in a little bit, but then Interleague was basically his undoing again, right? Like, I mean, he he allowed the walk-off home run against the Eagles that I was unlucky enough to be at <laughs> 20 rows, 20 rows up from where the home run ball landed. Um, and then he gave up two straight home runs against the Buffaloes. Um, and that was the end of his season until, and we'll, we'll see this in the book that I'm releasing, but also we can talk about this now as well. Just that, you know, when he came into that game four, four, it was four. He came into game four and threw one pitch. But it was the unexpected, like, you know, um, we could see that Okada was going to the ump to announce the replacement. And even amongst the team, you know, they're like, who's he going to, who's he sending in? Who's he sending in? And then when the announcer said, you know, coming in uh, in relief, Yuasa. And just the, the jolt of energy from the entire stadium. And that one pitch was enough to turn the series around to some extent. It was the point I'm getting to is that you know, Yuasa is going to come back 
better than ever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other guys in the bullpen that didn't have their best seasons either. Like Hamachi could very well come back and be an excellent piece. We got Urushihara coming in, who could be another excellent piece. And all these, all these different options that we have. And then again, as we talked about in the rumors and news, we, you know, I said, well, if Chikamoto anchors the outfield, I don't care who the other two guys are because they all look good. Like all the other seven guys have the potential to be starters and to be stars. So this team is pretty loaded, as you both kind of mentioned. So I'm pretty excited about 2024 as well. I think it's pretty loaded, but I think we got little hints of it last season. We got lucky last season that we didn't really have any significant injuries as far as I remember through the season. Guys even the only one, yeah. Mr. missed a couple of games and stuff like that, but even with the depth of the squad, we can't afford some of these guys to be missing multiple games. So I think right. staying fit is going to be a really critical part, even even with this squad. True. Well, yeah, you know, look at the fact that, you know, the uh, the right side of the infield played every game, right? Like Oyama and Nakano were in there for every single game. So yeah. that that's telling as well of how good the season was for our, our team. Yeah. Sanjay, were you going to say something as well? I was gonna say, don't don't sleep on Mombetsu. I think he's got like yeah. all kinds of stars uh, aligned for him. Okara is like really high on him, um, and so am I. If it's good enough for you him, know, it's good for me. Yeah, and just to kind of, I guess, wrap things up in a in a way. Um, there were times that I kind of doubted Okada, um, especially early in the year, and even more so in the off season last year's off season when he said look we don't really need to chase any free agents we don't want geezers on this team and i was like you're not looking in the mirror are you but also i was like no we why aren't we at least putting in an offer for mori you know because our catchers aren't producing worth anything why aren't we at least trying to get kondo who ended up with the hawks right like these are some red ticket free agents that they could really have put our team over the top but Okada, the visionary, said, no, you know what? We've got all the pieces we need on our team. And so this offseason now, when he says, we don't need to bolster our team. We don't need to pursue free agents. We don't need to trade. We don't need to uh, you know, be aggressive you know, with, with foreign acquisitions either. I trust him this offseason more than I did last offseason. He's got a plan. And uh, let's see it come to fruition. You're here. Yep. Excellent. So he goes I- on. Yeah, Are does go on, and, and surely as we continue uh, with this show, we are going to go on and on reporting the news to all of you. Well, guys, we're going to wrap this thing up right here, so let me just go through the uh, the closer here. That's a wrap for another episode of H10. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you haven't gotten your fill of us, we are out there on the net. Patreon will be reopening soon. The website, the Twitter, pardon me, X, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. And I've also got a daily sports column in Japanese. If you want to test out your Nihongo, all those details are in the show notes. Special thanks to show for mixing this pod for us. And Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to talk to you, to get kind of a fresh angle on the Hunching Tigers, on Hunching Tigers fandom, on a bit of the history of the team, all sorts of stuff. Real pleasure having you here today. Thank you again so much for having me on. And thank you, both of you, for continuing to do this podcast. It really does mean so much to us um, around the world. 
following Hanshin Tigers to have a podcast like this. So keep up the great work, guys. You heard him, Sanjay. Thank you Ma- so much Mahalo, for Chris. making this pod what it is. Yes. Mahalo. And all right, everybody. Are. A-R-E. Goes on. Yeah, Goes man. on. Goes on. <laughs>